Welcome to Matter of Principles, a podcast from the Association of Washington School Principals. We've got some original podcasts in our feed. The podcast you're about to hear is the audio from an episode of AWSP TV, our talk show for principals. Make sure to tune in to our live episodes and catch all of our shows by subscribing to our YouTube channel. In the meantime, enjoy the audio from this episode of AWSP TV. Hey, welcome to another episode of AWSP TV. We are so excited today to have another special guest in our studio. We've got Ross Hunter, the Secretary for Washington State's Department of Children, Youth, and Families. Ross, thanks for being here today. Great, thank you for pronouncing the second comma in our name. Hey, you like that? Mm -hmm. It's good, good pause. Well, practice makes perfect. Grammar, grammar matters. Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, we're excited to have a conversation with you about uh, what's currently happening in the system and what potentially could happen okay. in the system to help our kids. Mm -hmm. So why don't you start by, I guess, giving our uh, viewers a little idea of your background and experiences okay. that have kind of landed you in the role that you're in now. Um, yeah, your email intro to this to me was um, kind of interesting that you were, uh, bemused wasn't the word, but like wondering how was it that I got from coming to Washington to work for a software company that had fewer than 300 people that turned into Microsoft. Um, how did I get from there to here? I, I, I built, I spent almost 20 years at Microsoft building software. Uh, it was fun, it was pretty lucrative. Um, it was the basis, this is in the 80s, the basis for the modern economy of the state of Washington. And um, that was exciting. And like after some period of time, you're like, do I need to do this again? Like, can I do something different now? Like, what do I like? What do I do when I grow up, right? And uh, so I retired. And six weeks later, my <laughs> wife said, "So this whole retiring thing is okay, but not for lunch. You have to leave the house. You can come home for dinner, but you can't be here for lunchtime." It's like okay. And so our kids were in elementary school, so I did a bunch of volunteering. Um, Rob McKenna talked me into being on a school levy campaign, and uh, my job was to explain school funding mm -hmm. uh, all over the Bellevue School District. And uh, in uh, 2000, it was uh, screwed up. I, it was really awful. Made absolutely no sense uh, to do there were 17 different formula. I, mean, I can go into my whole school funding thing, and I just got angrier and angrier. And then I met my legislators, and because they were, like, so you get to the end of this, you say, who controls this? Because I was raising money, private money, for a science curriculum for the Medina Elementary School. So of all of the elementary schools in the state, like us and Mercer Island and Clyde Hill are the three that you could think would not need to raise private money for a science curriculum. But we did. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of, like, made sure it got used in the whole school district, including our Title I schools. But... I get, what do they do in Yakima? Well, it turns out they don't have one at the time. Um, exactly the right moment, someone mentioned to me, you know that legislator you thought, yeah, you could beat him. I was like, really? And I needed something <laughs> to do during the day. Remember the whole lunchtime thing? Um, so I ran um, for the legislature in 2002 uh, in Bellevue, Bellevue, Webb, and Kirkland, Medina, the Gold Coast, uh, and I was the first Democrat elected there in state history, which I didn't know when I started running, because that might have been a little daunting, that the district had never elected a Democrat before, but I had the great joy of, in Bellevue, running against a gun lobbyist, which turned out not to actually work out so well. Um, and I worked on school funding. And I'm a, I mean, I'm an engineer, so I'm good with numbers, and I wound up doing tax policy, and then the recession hit, and our budget chairman lost her reelection, and they needed a budget chairman, and I was able to convince all of my members that, that I should actually do that work. Um, they were gracious enough to allow me to do that. And during that time, we did the work that redefined what basic ed was, which was what my PTA volunteers really wanted me to do. Uh, I built the, this group. We had the, uh, the Basic Education Funding Task Force, uh, which sort of came after Gregoire's effort on Washington Learns to actually try and produce changes to the funding formula. Uh, 
we had six legislators. We had two Democrats, two Republicans, and two Democrats who used to be Republicans, one of whom switched back um, on the group. Um, and we tried to work out what was the model school formula? What was the best way to actually make a school funding formula make more sense than what we had before? Um, and we were able to implement that with a lot of histrionics. Um, it was a hard, a hard year to, to get that done, and that really created the legal structure that made the McCleary suit work. And we were then able to use McCleary as a lever to force the school funding to increase, and we've doubled state spending since, since that time. It's made a big difference. Uh, I don't know where we are today. At the time, the cost adjusted, cost of living adjusted per capita funding in Washington was 47th in the nation. My guess is we're closer to the midpoint today. Uh, we'll never be New Jersey. We, we don't have the tax code that would enable that. But this seemed like a more reasonable place to be. Um, and it's more equitable than it was before. Um, when I looked at how, how levies worked, um, they really advantaged my district and really disadvantaged Yakima, which I used as counterexamples mm -hmm. in my peregrinations all over the state. Many of your listeners may have seen me you know, appear in their district at that time, 10, 15 years ago, uh, to sort of talk about what, what could we do, what would work, and to understand what was different in Pomeroy, say, than it is uh, in Bellevue. And we tried to build a system that worked for the whole state um, and I think we made reasonable progress. It's not perfect from my point of view, but it's also a very political process. Um, and there are a lot of people who made it better uh, on both sides of the aisle. Mm -hmm. um, and I did that for a while, but being the budget chairman during the recession was really uh, a fundamentally depressing project. <laughs> um, and so I did five state budgets, um, and they were two-party negotiations, which made them take forever and be really painful. Um, and so again, after 13 years, it was time, like I felt like I'd gotten done what I'd come to do, and I, it wasn't not good for your soul to do that for a long time. And I, uh, the opportunity to run the Department of Early Learning came up, which was really a fun job, and I was excited to do it. People seemed to like the work I was doing, um, and decided that my 300-person agency should have 4,600 people and have foster care and juvenile rehab at the same time. Um, so we've been trying to implement and build a system that really thinks about outcomes for children that is a counterpart to the work that we do in the K-12 system. Uh, a lot of the work, pretty much all of our work in the birth to five space is in our responsibility, mm -hmm. plus worrying about at-risk kids, kids in the foster care system, kids in the juvenile, um, the juvenile justice system, sort of more broadly defined, is how do we ensure that these kids have a path to success so that we're not creating the sort of prison to pre-K back to prison pipeline again. I'd like to, I'd like to get out of that loop. Uh, and I think we have an opportunity to do that. And so that's what I'm doing now is go from being a Microsoft engineer to somehow running this thing with all these all these social workers so your and, retirement's going well uh well i'm not, you're not at home, you're at not lunch. At home you're, yeah, I'm not at home, you're lunch not at home anymore. lunch right <laughs> um so i work down here and i live in kirkland so i'm not at home at dinner either good but, night yeah yeah we just moved dinner later the kids are out of the house now so it's uh it works out my wife plays soccer a bunch of nights a week well that does work out yeah so that's the that's the Ross history, right, of how do, you, how do you get from being a guy who thinks about systems and building complicated systems that have lots of moving parts. Mm -hmm. Did that with database software at Microsoft. Did that with the school funding system, try and get all those pieces to balance so that we had a reasonable system that was adjusted for cost of living differences, adjusted for the difficulty of hiring staff in rural districts, trying to manage all of these things together to now I'm trying to build a system that prepares kids to be successful in school. That is perfect and falls right in line with our school leader paradigm. I wish I had a copy of it. I'm sure it's over my left shoulder. Um, that talks about systems intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fascinating that you have such a strong picture about what could happen in our society mm -hmm. through the beginning of early learning. Well, you look at kids coming into kindergarten and we have 
kids that are, about 47% of the kids today hit all six nationally recognized sort of kindergarten readiness targets on the WACKITS assessment, mm -hmm. um, which is a, a subset of something we use in ECAP called TS Gold, Teaching Strategies Gold. Um, the OSPI uses a, some incredibly long, non-pejorative name for, is this kid ready for kindergarten or not? Because all kids should go to kindergarten, right? Whether they're ready or not. But this is a measurement of are they likely to be successful? And you look at kids who come in at the level of a three-year-old, and that level stays the same through their entire K-12 experience. Um, I mean, they, they just never catch up. Right. Um, the story of this year's numbers were um, wealthier, whiter, and more Asian kids increased their scores, and lower-income kids did not increase their scores as much, and the average stayed the same on all of our K-12 assessments, and that is not the direction that we want to go. We do not want to create this bimodal distribution um, in society, and the way, I think the most effective way to do that is to have five-year-olds is to bring up a lot of our at-risk kids. Um, so we, as an agency, are responsible in the birth to five space for ECAP, which is the state's version of Head Start. Uh, we're also responsible for subsidized childcare. So we run the subsidy system for childcare for about 45, 50,000 kids. The number of kids is declining slowly because there's a lot of income cliff problems in that space. That's not today's interview, but um, we, we have work to do there. We also do um, the early support for infant and toddlers program that is sort of commingled with the school funding model. And we're, it's been growing rapidly uh, since we started doing development assessments in the pediatric practices in the Medicaid suite. Um, that program's been growing about 15% a year, and we're trying to make sure that we're actually getting high-quality services for the dollar that we're spending, spend about $100 million a year on that. Um, we also do our, our home visiting suite. So when we look at ECAP, which about 40 or 50% of our seats are in the K-12 system, they're in elementary schools, which we love. You're our best partners, please thank God, thank you. Um, and we're trying to help reduce the gap for low-income kids coming into kindergarten, and we're remarkably successful. Kids who um, are in that income bracket, which is less than 110% of the federal poverty level, um, about 28% of them will hit that national benchmark. Uh, whereas if you look at kids who don't get free or reduced price lunch, um, about 60% of those kids will come in completely ready to learn. And the bulk of them who are not ready, it's because of math. Um, so we want to move kids up. And ECAP, if a kid has two years of ECAP, they are more likely to be ready for kindergarten than a kid in the top half of the income distribution. Right? It's a remarkable right. impact yeah. for low-income kids. It has a preventative effect for being in the child welfare system. But we look at those kids, 28% of the kids in an ECAP classroom are involved in the child welfare system. So they a level of trauma that those kids have experienced plays out in their lives. Um, in most preschools, they get kicked out remarkably frequently. Uh, foster kids are right. kicked out all the time, um, as they are in the K-12 system. And something I want to talk about sort of towards the end of this, but how do we get um, how do we get more kids ready? We're at about 14,000 kids now. Um, in the next three years, we're going to need to get to about 20,000 kids in ECAP. Uh, and we need to make it simpler for school districts to run. Yeah, that was my question. What are the barriers that you're running into that okay. are preventing reaching that number? Well, so the big barrier, a couple barriers. One is we don't pay enough. The rates are too low, uh, particularly if you're in a school building and you want to use certificated staff. Um, you don't really have to pay rent, but the certificate staff is really expensive. Mm -hmm. um, gets better results. So we, we love it. Um, our, we produce about 11 grand a year for a full day ECAP slot, compared to about $17,000 a year for a slot if you were to say run transitional kindergarten, mm -hmm. uh, which many of you are now doing, and more of you should. Um, that's a hint. That's a hint, it's a big hint. Um, <laughs> we would like to have I would like to do a project this year to figure out how do we get all of these pre-K programs to be able to run in the same classroom. 
and I'm willing to get out of the way on licensing. A lot of licensing issues that are a problem for ECAP, if you want to spin up a new classroom, it takes us a while to get the fire marshal in. It's just sort of a legal requirement, but some of this we, we can figure out how to, how to do better. The other place where we should do inclusion is what we call Part B, which most school districts will call developmental pre-K, which is special ed for three and four-year-olds. Um, it's not a super well-funded program. Most schools run about a two-hour-a-day program, which I will point out is useless for working parents. Right? Like, if you work at Jamba Juice, how are you going to get your kid there, and how are you going to get your kid home? Like, like this just this is not reasonable. My uh, my CFO is in this situation, um, and she's like, the only way that works is because her mom does full-time care, mm -hmm. and that is not a typical experience for working people. Um, there's no reason that we can't run all these things in the same classroom. We can't make the rules work better together. Uh, and Chris and I are working on, Chris Reichdahl and I mm -hmm. are working on how, to, how do we figure out how to get out of our own way and make that work. But So the comp is an issue. Um, the licensing can be an issue. We're, we're working to simplify that and uh, we'll be happy to take advice from people. If you've got particular problems, let us know. Uh, we'll be happy to get out of your way. Um, if we legally can, depends on the, the money source. Um, How do we let you know? Uh, Ross.hunter at dcyf.wa.gov. <laughs> right? You can find me. I've been in the narcissism business for 20 years. Just search for me on the web. You can find me. Um, the movie star is dead. I'm not that guy. Everyone else, I'm the other one. Um, there's some guy in, in Australia, and there's a guy in England with my name who coaches, honest to God, the English... Um, it's like the over 40s blind uh, cricket team or something. It's like some wild So you're project. a coach too. No, your, yeah, right, right. And, <laughs> uh, and there's a guy with my name. I, I mean, I, mean I, I have a search, right? I get, get notices. Um, somebody's like the speed skiing, like crazy high mountain skiing champion of Canada with my name. It's like, all right, that's not me. I guarantee you that's not me. <laughs> Right, or, or ultralights. I can't remember what it was. It was some crazy athletic thing yeah. that was like, that looks like a death wish. So, but pretty much you can find me in Washington. Um, you know, we're happy to take feedback. If you work with our ECAP program, you know how to provide feedback. Let us know. I mean, we really do want to hear and figure out how to make that work better. But the improvement in kindergarten readiness for those kids mm -hmm. is stunning. And if you look at the Washington State Institute for Public Policy study, they looked back at um, kids who'd gone through ECAP and carried the results. They had 23% better math scores in fifth grade than similarly situated kids wow. who did not go through ECAP. It's a reputable study. Uh, WISIP does great work, um, heavily relied on by the legislature to do these sort of cost-benefit studies. When they look at ECAP compared to other states, our program is twice as good as most states. It's also smaller. Um, Pre-K programs don't work unless they are high-quality programs, and there are a number of different measuring sticks that you can use to, to measure them. Uh, really, some key elements have to have a curriculum. You have to have a way of assessing the particular cadence of how teachers work with students, um, and we provide that training. We provide coaching and mentoring in the ECAP program. It really it makes a difference over Similar programs that don't have all of those elements of quality, they just don't work. So if I'm watching right now and this is new to me and I'm curious and you're saying a lot of stuff and the lights are going on, what are some best practices or systems or districts where I could maybe get in contact with a practitioner? To uh, Bellingham. Look, look at Bellingham. They're sort of doing some work with uh, Transitional K that we're pretty excited about. Every, every region has somebody doing ECAP. And if you want a tour we'd be happy to set one up. Uh, we have to add thousands of slots at ECAP over the next two or three years, and we are looking for people who want to host. Um, and we want to make it so that, particularly in rural parts of town, so you can include multiple groups of kids. Sometimes, well, rural communities that don't have enough kids really to fill a classroom. Mm -hmm. We want to find some other ways to combine some of the other streams of money to make it easier for people to fill a classroom. Uh, and do this, the impact on your kindergarten will be amazing. You'll have, you'll have less variation, which means you'll be able to teach more to the middle of the distribution in that class 
and the whole class will move faster. One of our uh, fastest growing membership slices for, for principals in the state are elementary principals. Uh -huh. So what message do, would you You're have? welcome. Yes. Well, okay. yes. So <laughs> Thank the you. reason that you've got that yeah. is because we lowered class sizes in kindergarten through third grade and we added full day kindergarten, which adds an enormous number of new classrooms. When you think about going from 25 down to 17 on class sizes, um, so you need a third again as many classrooms just to do the class size reduction. And there weren't all that many places that had full day kindergarten before we started phasing it in. It was the first thing we did was to try and phase that in. And we started with high poverty schools first. Mm -hmm. um, this was uh, Bruce Dammeyer and I put a lot of work into trying to do that. Pat Sullivan trying to really drive that um, across the state. Uh, and it worked. I mean, that's, I think, why you've got a lot of new elementary school principals. Yeah, so for them, obviously, they know how to find you now. They're going they to get you, the ski coach, the... Yeah, right, right. You want to do crazy skiing, call me. Yeah, don't, <laughs> actually. Right. <laughs> so as far as resources for them, launch them to... We have a whole program to help people launch, launch new... We'll help you spin up a, a high-quality pre-K program. If you run sort of a step-down version of your kindergarten program, you'll have a really high-priced childcare system. It'll be okay, mm -hmm. right? I mean, like, that's better than a lot of places are going to get. And if you, that's all you can do, do that. But if you can run a program that has, that has a curriculum, that has coaching and mentoring for the teachers, that has, um, the way we do assessments, the, the way the classroom actually works, really helps kids learn the sort of serve and response method of working with kids. Um, it works. I mean, there's a reason that th there's an enormous body of research that all agrees with it. Unlike most K-12 research, which is all over the map, everybody's got their thumb on the scale. Pre-K stuff is all very consistent. It says, do this, it'll work. We'll help you do this. I'm not going to tell you all the details. Remember, I'm a computer guy. I'm not really the policy guy uh, on exactly what do you do in the classroom. No one would ever let me teach a classroom of four-year-olds. I mean, it would be a bad idea, but it would, but we do have a package and we'll help you implement that package. So in five years, where do you see our system? I mean, I love the fact that you've got this dream and this vision for right. our state. In five years, well, where are we? I'd like to see us have blended classrooms. So I'd like to see um, school districts have classrooms that have the transitional kindergarten, if they're doing that that have special ed kids involved in the ECAP classroom and we're blending the money together so we get um, sort of more general ed students mixed in with students with more challenges. It's good for everybody, everybody gets a mix. Uh, I'd like us to continue to grow our focus on disproportionality, on how do, we, how do we do culturally appropriate classrooms. A classroom that we would do in Yakima is different than a classroom that we would do in Highline. In Highline, you know, we might do something in Somali or in Oromo in the, the languages, the top languages from the big Somali community there. That would make very little sense in Yakima, right? Um, but in Yakima, we have a lot of Spanish immersion classes, mm -hmm. and that works super well. Um, we'd like to see that. We'd like to see the diversity of the teacher base increase. Ours is pretty strong, uh, partly because we grow our own. We have this enormous linked together training system where all of the community colleges across the state provide stackable certificates that people can earn, they can learn while they're earning money being an assistant teacher and then they can move up and we'd like to continue to, to grow that so we grow our, our teacher base. Um, I'd like to have a system that had a little less turnover so I'd like to, the more I can get in the K-12 system, the more likely I'm to have stable pay. Mm -hmm. So you've got this I, I do have one other, like, I don't know when you're <laughs> going to run this thing, but I talked to Sue Birch today from the Healthcare Authority. She says, you got till the 15th. Like, if you're a teacher and you haven't signed up for SAB yet, you got to do it, right? So I put my pitch in for that. That's just a little commercial break, really. A little commercial break, yeah, right. It's good. We can sign flash, up for your healthcare. We can man. flash the logo up there and we'll right. be good. Yeah, yeah. So you've got an audience of principals watching right now. And yep. You mentioned there were a few other things that you wanted to make sure you hit. Yeah. So foster kids was one. Um, so, I mean, take this opportunity to know that you're talking so, to K-12 principals across the state K -12 right K-12 principals. Um, so Stressing the K part of that. 
Yeah. Well, I've been stressing, because that's where I came from, was really trying to think about what worked in the education system and where should we focus our funding. Mm -hmm. It's no surprise that we focused new funding on teacher comp, which needed to get worked out, but on the classroom innovations in the lower grades, because you yeah. have so much more leverage there. So a lot of work there. But we have a group in Washington, in every state uh, in America, of young adults, adolescents. Um, some of them become young adults, some of them you would be stressed to call them that, who are disconnected from the education system. And if they remain disconnected, um, they're likely to be connected to the correction system eventually. And we don't think that's good for them. We don't think it's good for the state's economy. Uh, and we got to figure out a way to engage these young people. Mm -hmm. And foster kids in particular have experienced a lot of trauma in their life. And it's not their fault. And one of the things that's most powerful when you approach a young person who has behavior that you do not understand why they are doing this, why do they uh, have these incredible fight or flight reflexes uh, that they get in a lot of fights or, you know, that you just, you see outbursts of, and this all comes from the trauma. It's a predictable response to, to abuse as a child. Mm -hmm. And if you approach the behavior as these children are being disrespectful and I'm going to suspend them until they get better, let me tell you, it ain't going to work. Um, so if you want to approach it and say, well, what happened to this kid, rather than what's wrong with this kid, um, you could start figuring out how do we wrap some supports around kids who've experienced a lot of trauma to help them be successful. They need an adult in their life that cares about them. That might be you. That might be a principal. That might be a teacher. It might be an aide. It might be, you know, Fraz the janitor. I don't know, right? It's somebody, they need an adult who's consistent in their life, who supports them, and they need that adult to understand that there's going to be some behavior that is not behavior they would experience in kids who've not. If you, if you live in a jungle where dangerous stuff happens all the time, your adrenaline system is always up. And one, this causes you to live less time. It's a reasonable response to, to living in that kind of environment. You, you lash out at the slightest bit of, of problem because that's what protects you. Um, that doesn't work, you know, in the library which is sort of where the rest of us live. Mm -hmm. And we've got to understand that and create an environment that works. And I don't have as good a research-based story here, but I can tell you that if you suspend kids, the likelihood that they are going to learn new behavior is high, and you won't like the new behavior. Right? We've stopped using um, juvenile detention for kids who run away from foster care because all of the evidence says it makes them worse. We're all worried as an adults because we're like, I, I want to put this kid down and have them still be there when I find, you know. And putting them in, in detention, all they learn is how to steal cars, right? And it, it, it adds more trauma to a life. These kids need less trauma, and we need to help them figure out what is their plan because they probably don't have that supportive adult at home because mm -hmm. there's a reason that they have these behaviors. And helping us figure that out is, is an important part. And it's a place where principles need to be with us and we need to build a discipline system that um, is intentional rather than accidental. I mean, the accidental yeah. system winds up where we are today. Incredible racial disparities and in outcomes in, in behavior system. Black boys get uh, suspended all the time. A lot of these kids are kids who've been in and out of the foster care system or have had a CPS involvement. So they've had this level of abuse and now the whole system that might support them doesn't. Like, where are they going to go? So we've got to provide that supportive environment because nobody else is, and it's our job. Yeah, and our principals are reporting upwards of 80, 90 percent of their day spent on responding to trauma. Um, our principals mm -hmm. are on the front lines, and they're working diligently to not suspend. Um, and we know that the relationships that they build with kids okay. are crucial. Okay. Um, what we're trying to tackle is, like what you said, consistent relationships is huge. Okay. Um, and we just really strongly believe in having principals, assistant principals, 
they are oftentimes those key relationships in buildings. Um, so that's what we're really working hard at AWSP to do is, is to create that sustainable, consistent leadership in our schools. Okay, so if I go pull discipline reports for foster kids in every school across the state, am I gonna see a downward trend in every school? Not yet, Okay. but we're working towards so it. Are you pulling those numbers? I know that systems are, and that's where we're getting pushback across okay. the state. So if you're not pulling those numbers, if right. you're not looking at, like, so we all say we can all provide lip service all day. Right. Right? I, those of you who have met me before, worked with me before, I'm not that guy. Yeah. Right? How many did you suspend last week? Did you spend fewer this week? Like, what's that trajectory look like? And does it get asymptotically closer to zero? Yeah. Because um, if you're not measuring it, you're not getting anywhere. So well, I, mean, I like it that it's a conversation because it didn't used to be a conversation no. in the system. And now it is. It, it now is. you have districts saying zero suspensions. Right. And that's a bold move that didn't exist before. So I sat in front of a panel at Green Hill School, which is um, a juvenile or large juvenile detention yep. facility in Chehalis. And, uh, whole row of young men were talking about the experiences that they'd had in the K-12 system. Uh, and these are young men who are sure. at the deep end of the correction system. And 80% of them had been foster kids. And um, they started talking about when they started getting suspended. Yeah. And it was like a competition. And finally, they got down to one kid who said, Third grade. No, 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 no. I got suspended in nursery school a dozen times. <laughs> so. Kids in nursery school get yeah. suspended four times more frequently than they right. do in the K-12 system. Yeah. We don't allow it in ECAP. And the ECAP system seems to be working. So like the world has not come to an end because we can't suspend a four-year-old. Right. Um, and I think the same is probably true for five and six-year-olds. Kids in elementary school get suspended a lot. Like we gotta figure out how do we build a world where we can manage the behavior of kids. They're short people, right? They weigh less than 100 pounds. Yeah. Um, and we ought to be able to figure out how to train our teachers and how to actually build a supportive environment before a kid spirals to a place where they're going to behave in a way that is very predictable based on the trauma right. they've experienced and there's stuff that we can do to help. Yeah, and I think it's exciting because we're tackling a decades old system of right. toss them out. Yeah, and, and uh, you and can, let, it's. Uh, right, so to me it's exciting that we're yeah. getting there. I mean, it, it seems like a system designed to perpetuate racial disparities. Sure. Um, I mean, because the disproportionality of that behavior is yeah. stunning. Um, so I think we all have to take this on as a mission. Uh, I've seen, this is mostly elementary schools who, um, they seem to have a tighter culture than middle schools. Like, I personally have always felt that middle schools was a bad idea, that we should just basically lock those kids up for two years until the hormones <laughs> settle down. But that's so probably a day-to-day decision. It's a day-to-day -day decision, <laughs> but but elementary schools seem to have a culture that's reasonable, and the ones that I've seen who've chosen to implement a violence reduction strategy, a respect strategy, uh, sure, and build and say this is what we're doing as a school have been remarkably successful. Yeah, there's a number of these programs. I'm not sure it matters. I mean, probably does, but picking one and doing it seriously is probably more important than picking the right one. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's a really important part of building a world where kids who experience a lot of trauma at home, they like going to school because it's stable and predictable. Yeah. And, it, and again, the rest there, of their life is There's relationships. Mm -hmm. And they need, and we need to build that for them. So how we support these kids is, is really important. Yeah. So. You mentioned earlier McKinney-Vento. Yeah, I did. Um, and it's intersection with foster kids. Mm -hmm. um, these kids need stability. And so imagine you're uh, a seven-year-old and you're in second grade. You just got ripped out of your home because of unbelievable craziness. Right. You, don't, you still don't understand it because that seems like a normal home life to you, but mm -hmm. you're now living with a stranger in a different part of town. Ideally in the same town, that kid needs to go back to school in the morning. The same school, the same seat, the same, the same hook to hang their raincoat on. Mm -hmm. Um, and we need to figure out how we communicate with school districts, 
when we have a kid in a foster placement, we need to know what school that kid is in and we need to figure out the transportation. And I totally get it that it's unbelievably aggravating. This may be more for superintendents and principals, but you as a principal gotta lean on your, on your system to make sure that we're getting those kids to school, right? Kids who have special needs um, in the foster care system can have really crazy behaviors. Um, it's the law and it's humane and it's really important to get these kids, the earlier we can stabilize and give the kid a really stable environment, the more likely we are to all be successful in watching this kid walk across a high school graduation stage. Mm -hmm. Um, with something planned to do after high school, right? Something useful. Um, yeah. And, and, there, and there's a big recovery that you're doing as right. these kids right. show up in the front office of the school. Mm -hmm. um, and it's usually a vice principal or principal that is the first meet and greet that where the relationship is fostered. Mm -hmm. um, so it's crucial. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, and so, like, this is a lot of things. Like, like, this is, like, I, I totally get it. It's crazy. Like, and it happens. There's no planning time. K-12 system does better when there's time to plan for things. Plan all the school bus routes out in August, right? Yeah, it doesn't really work out. You gotta redo them in September, but at least you had a plan. This is January 2nd, because actually we have a huge spike right after the right. Christmas holidays when yeah. kids come back. Um, and all of a sudden, you gotta provide a bus to get a kid from across town to their elementary school. It is really important. And I, I have a project where I'm gonna start calling soups. Um, when I'm, when our people, our kids aren't getting transported. Um, so be, w be waiting for my call. Yeah, we might have to flag that sp specifically on Twitter when we send this one out. I don't know. Um, but I mean, we gotta do it. I mean, this is a place where we all have to work together. We need to get better information to you guys about what's happening with the kid. And it's not always our highest priority. Um, and you guys gotta recognize that th these kids through no fault of their own have experienced a lot of trauma. Mm -hmm. And we need to help them be successful in school because that is the best place in the world for them. Uh, these are kids, I've talked to a lot of these kids in the correction system yeah. where 40% of the kids are foster kids in, the, in juvenile corrections. 80% of them have a CPS history. Right. Um, so the overlap here, you can see the pipeline and the earlier we interrupt it, the cheaper it is for all of us, and that's why we're in this business, right? You didn't get in this business to make a mint. Go be a stockbroker, right? We're here because we actually care about yeah. the outcome for these kids. So if you could create a position that doesn't exist in the current K-12 space, uh, we've often referred to it as a hope coordinator. Um, mm -hmm. As a recovering high school principal myself, mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> I found I had key people that I leaned on, mm -hmm. whether in my teaching staff or classified staff, right. that connected with any kid regardless of their background. Right. Um, and those are the people that uh, um, I didn't like rules, regulation, and certification to prevent reaching a kid. Mm -hmm. So I'm always dreaming about, well, what if we had this particular role? What, what do you think we could use in the K-12 space that's way out of the box and different than what we currently have? So I'm gonna move away from the whole preschool thing, which I think we ought to do a bigger, a better job of coordinating the resources that we currently have. Um, and let's talk about disconnected, disconnected young men in particular. Mm -hmm. um, so the best elementary schools that I visited in my legislative career um, that worked with challenging kids um, in the principal's office, somewhere in the office complex, there was like a whiteboard or something, or there was a list up on the board, and it had every kid on it, and they were tracking what needed to happen with that kid. You know, elementary schools, 400, 600 kids, smaller in a lot of rural communities. Um, you could do that. You knew what Joey needed. Yeah. And for some kids, there was a teacher who was assigned to make sure that Joey like knew Got at the that. end of the day what, what all the homework that needed to happen yeah. was, right? That he needed some help coordinating it, or he needed this, or somebody needed to get some stuff involved in getting to his house. I don't think we do that in high school, right? Middle school, high school, 
Uh, I worry a lot about the middle school, high school transition ages. Uh, it's a time when kids who, particularly kids who don't have a lot of connections to adults, start getting siphoned off into the gang problem. And so if we had someone who made those lists and like made, uh, I, I was gonna say checking them twice, but it's too much of a, but it's, there's a list and there's like, every kid that needs an adult connected to them, that we figured out which, which adult can connect to that kid, and the adult knows it's really part of their work, right? That, that it's, it's gotta be part of their personal mission, mm -hmm. or it doesn't work, yeah. it's gotta be authentic, but we gotta make sure that we've got at least one for every kid, and that we figure out how do we feed that relationship, and stuff like that doesn't happen unless someone really cares about it. Yeah. So that would be where I'd go, but that may not work, I don't know. Well, it does work. Right. Because I've seen it work. Mm -hmm. um, our system had that in place, and we met every Monday morning, looked at the list, right. said, who's got Johnny, who's right. got Sally, and that's, that was... What are we doing? Right. What are we doing? And let's make sure we're rallying the supports around him. Mm -hmm. And it was always relationships before anything right. else. You know, the other thing that's new learning for me in this, in this space is when I look at the kids in the foster care system, I look at adolescents, kids from 12 to mm -hmm. 18, now up to 21 in the foster care system, 30% uh, of them are LGBTQ plus. Like, I don't understand the mechanism. Like, that's about four or five times mm -hmm. the percentage in the population. Right. So something, there's some agent at work that I, I, don't, I don't have to understand, I would like to understand, I don't have to. Um, our system has to be more supportive of those kids. Yeah. Um, and it's particularly important in places where the culture of the community is not as supportive. And we had a, an incident this year in uh, Goldendale, actually. We, were, we, we flew the Pride flag during Pride Month, and we got some community blowback from that. And I sent out mail to my whole staff saying, so let me tell you, well, we, we got some blowback here, and I mm -hmm. wanted to thank our area administrator for right. not sort of bending over on this. Um, and why it was important for us to fly that flag is because I got the same percentage of kids, gay and lesbian kids in that community, trans kids, um, and they don't have the community support that you might feel in, in Bellevue or in uh, Seattle. And they need to know somebody's got their back. Right. right? And so that, that was a statement that we could make and I think it's a statement that schools can make, particularly with kids that are really struggling. They're struggling at home and they're struggling trying to figure out who they are. It is a hard thing to be an adolescent. And how do we help support that kid so, I, so they don't wind up homeless? Um, an enormous fraction of homeless teenagers are gay and lesbian kids. Mm -hmm. um, they're, particularly susceptible to commercial sexual trafficking. Um, I get to learn all sorts of wonderfully exciting, new, uplifting things. Um, and how we, like, how do we identify kids are being trafficked? How do, we, how do we think about supporting gay and lesbian kids in that space is really important. And schools touch these kids. And you gotta, you gotta think about how do I support this kid where he is? may not personally think it's a great thing. It, the kid is probably really confused. Mm -hmm. um, and they need to have people be supportive too, so. Well, that's the work that we do at AWSP is yeah. to try and support this complex work mm -hmm. that principals have. Because it's, it's changed. It's hard work. It's changed a ton. In right. just a decade, which, uh -huh. what has landed on the laps of principals is tremendous. I mean, the. What's happening in society walks through the front doors of our schools every day, so. Mm -hmm. um, and it always has. Mm -hmm. And what, what I'm excited about is that people are being more out front about, yeah, and actually it's our responsibility yeah. to make the world a better place. And we need to change these horrifically, historically inequitable, bad for kids systems. Right, right. And you know, the K-12 system is not actually in general, bad for kids. No, but there are aspects about it that are not supportive to many kids. Right. 
And I think we've got to be deliberate about that. We're either building a system for white middle-class kids, yep. or we're building a system for what Washington actually looks like. And that is not what Washington looks like. Right. It's not even what Bellevue Rapidly looks like. Rapidly changing. Right. Bellevue's a majority-minority district right. now. Um, and so we have got to think about how do we build a more supportive K-12 system yep. so that I get fewer clients. I would love to put myself out of business. Retire again? Uh, yeah, I don't know that that's going to work, but um, yeah. I'd love to like have this job go away <laughs> because we all solved the problem. Right, we did it right. right? I could go do something else. Yeah. I could be a stock car driver. I don't know. Right? That's actually... Yeah, I need to... I would Probably need to not turn. a good idea. Yeah, I would need to... Like, I would do something other than turning left, right? That seems boring. We could but, put you in a middle school. Oh, my God. Yeah, just... just, oh just, my just God. I mean, we'll put that on eight, the shelf and think eight, about it. 800 <laughs> kids just starting to go through adolescence, Yeah, just going through puberty. You can just Boy. do the morning check-in person. That's it. You're just checking in with them. How are you doing today? I, um, I'm so going to work on that job description for you. I, I remember when I was running a Cub Scout pack, <laughs> and our... Our Pinewood Derby got a little bit out of hand, and it was too big for um, the gym at the elementary school. Uh, we had 100 boys in the pack, and like it, it was like an all-day event. It was, it, was out of, out, it was over the top crazy. We broke it into multiple sections after that. And so I went to go. I ran into the gym up the middle school, yeah. and I went to go check it out. And, you know, both my kids were in elementary school, and I went up there, and I looked, and it's like, this is a different species. Like, is my daughter going to turn into, oh, my God. It was like, I don't know. I, could, I don't think I could do middle school. <laughs> you guys do a hard thing. <laughs> like, high school I think I could do. But I think, I don't know about middle school. Well, come back and check with us. So and I, I bet we can find something for I, you to I do. Did, I did run a scout trip when I was in college. Okay. Um, we, in uh, the housing projects, I, back behind the gym in New Haven, I, I ran a scout trip for a couple of years. And that's all middle school boys. Yeah. That was fun. I could do that. So maybe I could. I don't know. I I don't think so. I don't well, think it'd be good. You've done incredible work in the state and have such an incredible vision of what is possible for kids. I mm -hmm. uh, really appreciate your advocacy for early learning. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. Um, I can't wait to see what our schools are going to look and feel like in five years. I, and I think we're going to get... In 10 years. I think we'll get a significant change yeah. in preschool in the next five and 10 years. I, it's going to take a while. We've got a bunch of classrooms to build. Right. Just like people have had to build elementary schools all over the state again, I'm sorry. Um, I think it'll make the world a better place to have fewer kids yeah. in a classroom, for sure. Um, but how we build those supportive preschools so that our kindergartens start getting better. Yeah. I mean, we also do, you know, we look at those classrooms, those pre-K classrooms, and a bunch of those kids have had more trauma than the normal and we focus, we do home visiting, yeah. we do a lot of other supportive work for those. And we'd love to be integrated with schools more uh, as we, because all these kids live in families, right? And how we provide a right. supportive family environment and coordinate with the schools is pretty important to me. Okay. Well, thank you for your time. Sure. We want to respect your busy schedule, but nobody sits in that chair without this question. Oh, yeah. So I want you to reflect back on your time through your own learning, your mm -hmm. journey, your educational journey. Can you think back on a principal or assistant principal that had an impact on your life? You mean when I was a kid? Mm-hmm. And I, if you I can't go back that far and you can't let, think let, of somebody, then maybe think about, through the lens of one of your own kids, let me if start, you like. Let's talk about the one that um, Betsy, Betsy Hill at Medina Elementary. Um, I got to see her through the lens of our two kids, um, I think being in elementary school in an enormously rich community is really difficult uh, because the parents are so aggravating. Um, and she, I thought, did that with grace. Um, she made placement choices that were appropriate for our kids, mm -hmm. you know, like matched kids and teachers super well, which meant she knew every single kid in that school. So that's us looking at like what worked with our kid, but I'm a systems guy, right? Like I, I sort of step back and, and I look at this and say, how did she make that school better? And I, she's not in Bellevue anymore, so I can say this, but she sure gamed the hiring system. So every time somebody retired or left to go somewhere else, just turnover in schools, the person who came in was better. 
right? So incremental improvement in the quality of the staff. And that transition, like people didn't retire in April and then like have big hiring panels and stuff, no. Oddly, everyone retired after the transfer day within the school district. So that open slot at this really desirable school didn't open up until like just after the last minute. <laughs> and somehow there was someone who was still available and ready to be hired and that got hired instantly into this spot. Like, I always wondered how. Sheer luck, I'm sure. Oh, sure. and you'd think that, and for her, it happened every year I was there. Right. It was like, how does she do that? Because like, once I started doing the politics of working with the schools, I realized this was not actually the normal experience. And so that was a focus on improving the quality of the school through hiring quality staff and supporting that staff. The teachers we had, they were great. Um, the work we did there on national board certification, uh, Shelly Bass was doing a lot of that work. Um, and it was awesome. We had a lot more nationally certified teachers in yeah. Bellevue than really anywhere else because sort of Mike Riley was doing that. That was a big deal. But she was smooth and competent and everything just got better every single year. I, I was astounding. Well, um, I appreciate you answering that through the lens of systems leadership. Yeah. Because that is a great example and I'm pretty sure a lot of people are writing that down right now. Hmm. Timing of hiring. Timing of hiring. Well, I, <laughs> Tucking I, that into their like Whatever scam in works cap. for you in your right. district, right? <laughs> but but yeah. it's like deciding what yeah. is important and then figuring out how you focus your work to make that happen. I'm sure the soup didn't care, mm -hmm. right? Like, he just wants people to get hired and not to have some kerfuffle, right? right? Um, that he's got to go bargain, yeah. right? So, like, she probably couldn't do it every time, but it seemed that way to someone who's like, wow, that was smooth. Yeah, Be smooth, decide what you want, and like, be focused on that year after year. You can't do yeah. this all at once. Right. Well, thank you so much for that great answer. Thanks for the time. Thanks sure. for your impact. Um, I think uh, there's a future for you as a middle school assistant principal, and we're going to work on that. I'll get you some information on the <laughs> certification, certification program nearest you. <laughs> That's it for another episode on AWSB TV. Imagine? Tune in next time. We're going to have Governor Jay Inslee. I'd just like to say that at the end of all of our episodes because one of these days he might join us. See you next time. Thanks for listening. To catch all of our episodes, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can watch AWSB TV and our other great video content. If you have ideas for guests or topics you'd like to hear about, shoot me an email at david at awsp.org. We'll do our best to make it happen. On behalf for all of us at AWSP, we hope you tune in again. Keep up the great work for kids, and we'll see you next time.